to us this morning. Is there sound there? Let's read God's word to us and I'll be referring to this. Um, so just keep that in mind. Luke chapter 21 verses 1 to 4. Luke 21 verse 1 to 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box and he saw a poor widow putting two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. How different would life be for you if um, if you had a little thought bubble constantly visible above your head with everything you did? In everything you did, there was this thought bubble. Would you live any differently? Just think, as you're sitting here, look around and see the thought bubbles. When, you were, when the offering came around earlier this morning, I had a bit of a glance around, and uh, I also had a thought bubble above my head, by the way. And I saw thought bubbles, even just on faces, that were all over the place, except what was happening. It's a good wake-up call, isn't it? Because you might not have a visible thought bubble above your head, but you actually have one. God can see in your heart all the time. How different would you live your life if you kept that fact in your head at all times? Well, as we come to this little passage this morning, you might say to yourself, well, this is any pastor's favorite list. Well, actually, it's the same old verse that I preach week in, week out, because it's going to come back to, how do we worship God? If you're a visitor here today, we don't just preach about money all the time, by the way. I only speak about money when Scripture tells me to speak about it, or if there's special need. So, no, this isn't my favourite topic. In actual fact, I hate speaking about money. Because I believe with James Hudson Taylor, if we do God's work his way, he will provide our needs. And so we need to do God's work his way. The rest is up to the Lord. But this is an observation that Jesus was making, and it wasn't just about money, it was about so much more. It wasn't just about giving to God's work. He was commenting on the hypocrisy of the scribes just before this, remember in the passage in, in Luke chapter 20? And he'd been pointing out that the scribes were the ones who were supposed to be the religious officials of the day, but they were the very ones who were devouring widows' houses, according to Mark chapter 12, and who instead of helping the widows in need, were the, the ones who were content to just rob them of their livelihoods, of their inheritances. So that's what Jesus was speaking about last time. Hypocrisy. Non-worship of God. And now he brings into juxtaposition to that this morning into what does true sincerity look like in people? What does true worship of God look like? And so we have this little scene described to us. Very short. Four verses in God's word. And Jesus sees what everyone else overlooks. He's sitting there in the in the temple, 
in the court of the women because that's where the offering boxes were. And these offering boxes, there were 13 of them and they all had labels on them for what the specific work was going for and I put a picture up there of... No, wrong picture. Okay, next one. Um, these offering boxes had this funnel on them that looked like an upturned trumpet. And as people poured money into this, of course, that would make a jingling noise. Okay, it was designed that way. And these boxes were marked, and so you knew I was giving to this widows, or I was giving to this, or I was giving to that. And there were 13 of these boxes. Unfortunately, temple worship had become so corrupted that people had added to this giving to the Lord, and even in the giving, they'd become corrupt because now when big gifts were given by the rich, trumpets were blown. Announcements were made about how much they were giving. They came walking up in their finest robes. Whole processions would come. They would come to these boxes. They would one by one open the bags of money they'd brought and they would very loudly and with great, great ceremony pour this money in and they'd make sure some spilled around the boxes too so the people would have to pick them up and put them into these boxes. In other words, show, see me, I'm giving to God. So Jesus saw what was happening. His disciples were watching this. These rich were calling attention to themselves. Society's limelight was on them. They wanted the attention to themselves. They wanted people to think how good and religious they were. There was worship happening here in the temple. But it wasn't worship of God. It was worship of themselves. You switch on some TV programs today and you can see this happening. Program by program. Worship of man. Worship of money. Of mammon. And they thought they were good. That God could read read the thought bubbles above their heads. He could read their hearts. It wasn't hard. Their self-advertising was showing most of this. And God could read their hearts. Jesus could see in them pride, self-sufficiency, worship on the outside. But there was no heart, heart worship of God here. And so Jesus calls his disciples' attention to this widow. He sees this widow in verse 2, this poor widow putting in two small copper coins and he calls his disciples' attention to her. You see, her small gift of two coins wouldn't be heard above all the din that the rich were making. When those two little coins tinkled into that box, no one would have heard at all. There was too much noise around. All the jingling into the receptacles of the riches But her mites were heard in heaven. Why? Because Jesus could read the thought bubble above her head too. And what did that say? It said, humility. In God I trust. He will look after me. True heart worship of God. So what can we learn from this? I think the first thing we can learn from this is that man weighs the coins, but God weighs the heart. Isn't that so true? 
That's why we've got our annual rich list up. Every year. We need to know who's the richest. Why? Because it's important to us as people. We weigh people up by their riches. I'm speaking in general now. I know there's us holy ones out there too, but I'm speaking in general. People weigh each other up by what they see they've got. By bank accounts. Man weighs the coins, but God weighs the heart. You see, the widow's two mites added up to an insignificant amount. Her two little copper coins were the smallest little coins available. They were called lepta. And they were worth about a sixtieth of a denarius, which was a day's wage. So she was putting in a sixtieth of a day's wage into this offering. Nothing. By human standards, her gift was insignificant. It would have made no significant difference to the temple takings if she had not given a contribution. They wouldn't have closed down the temple if she hadn't given. They wouldn't have to lay off priests because she hadn't given enough. Her little two coins were insignificant in, by human standards. And yet, this was the gift that Jesus thought worthy of comment. This was the gift that Jesus points his disciples to. They need to learn, you see, he's not got wrong with them anymore. And when he's not there, they might be overwhelmed by all these things. And so he has to teach them now while he's still with them. Look at this gift. By man's standards, she's giving nothing. But by God's standards, her gift is priceless. Jesus said she had given more than anyone else that day. Says Mark chapter 12. See, people have been watching that. We have said, how can you say that? The rich have been throwing in large amounts, Jesus. You see, there was nothing wrong with the rich bringing large gifts. That's not what the point is here. What is it? Jesus is rather commenting on the heart of these givers. On the difference between the givers. She was coming with sacrifice. She was coming with trust written on her heart. The rich were coming without any of these things. They were giving large sums, but they still retained their fortunes back at home. They'd only given what they could spare. It was me first, God second. They didn't need God. They didn't acknowledge their need of God. They had themselves to look after themselves. That's what Jesus commented. The widow, however, put everything, all she had to live on. When he says she was a poor widow, she was the poorest of the poor widows. It's the extreme, you see. She had nothing. And she came and brought the very last two copper coins she had for her existence. And she gave them back to God. Because somehow, God might be able to use this. This is my gift to him. He will look after me. She needed the money, didn't she? But her giving was a true sacrifice. She was giving herself as the sacrifice to God. Because herself went for the last of her money. There went her existence. What was the underlying reason for the sacrificial giving? Her giving was a statement of trust in God for a daily provision. Lord, I will give to you. I know you will provide for my needs. It's very moving. And God commends giving in faith in this way. You see, here was a woman in need of receiving financial help, and yet she had a heart to give. She needed it, and yet she gave. 
And even though the amount was negligible, she gave it in faith that God could use it. Where have we heard about this before? Old Testament. The widow of Zarephath. Remember that? Elijah the prophet came to her and with the very last of her meal and the last of her oil. That that she had for her, her and her son. She said, this is the last I have. After this I will eat this meal and die. That's what she said. But I will give it to you, man of God. And she made him some cakes. And she gave him her last meal. And then God provided for her. And he provided for her. And he provided for her. And the Bible says that that oil and that meal never ran out for the rest of her existence. God provided because she trusted him. She put her money on the line. She put her life on the line because she trusted God. And the same as this widow in this temple, she gave the last means of her self-support of her self-support. Does that mean that this widow was left destitute, that she went home and died of starvation? The Bible doesn't tell us, does it? But the Bible does tell us other things. It tells us more about the nature of God. The Bible also teaches us that God provides for our needs. I want you to turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 6. Let's see what God says about providing for our needs. Jesus had been teaching these things to the people. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. Matthew 6, verse 25. Listen to this. Take these words to heart this morning. Because in this materialistic age of ours, we are so quick to take our eyes off God and His principles, and we are, supposed to, we are so quick to put our eyes on our bank account and to the saviour of our dollars. God says this to us this morning. And this widow would have known this. Therefore I tell you, verse 25, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. Physicians will tell you you're taking away from your life by being anxious. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you, of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We need to hear that again because it's so contrary to what we believe in our hearts sometimes. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day 
is its own trouble. You see, we don't know the details of this particular widow's future, but we can be certain, according to God's word, that she was provided for because of the very nature of who Jesus is. And he saw her there. Would he, knowingly, having seen her, allow her to starve? No. The Bible doesn't say so, but it tells us about Jesus. And so we can trust him. Now, I can hear a question coming up in you. I can hear it. Does that mean that God wanted the rich to bring all their riches to him before he would bless them too? No. But he wanted the rich to acknowledge him as the source and the giver of their riches and then bring back to him, are you listening, in proportion to his blessings to them. How much has God blessed me? I will give back to God in proportion to what he has given me. Now, God gives to all of us in different portions, doesn't he? Some of us have more than others. Others of us have less than others. God says, if you recognize me as the giver of everything I've given you, then bring back to me out of a grateful heart the proportion of what I give you. How much has God blessed me? I must give back to him in proportion to how much he's blessed me. That's the teaching of Scripture. God had taught them this already from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 16 verse 17. Listen to this. Very important. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. The rich that day knew that. They kind of left out the according to the blessing that the Lord your God has given you. You see, Jesus wanted sacrificial giving from them too. It had to be a sacrifice that started in the heart and that showed in the hands when they brought it to the Lord. Those are the general principles of that little passage. So what do we do with that? You see, if you things test our spirituality more clearly than the way we use the money God has given to us. If you want to see the state of someone's soul, look at the way they spend their money. I speak to myself here as well. This applies to rich and poor. The same principles apply here. So here's some questions just to help clarify. So does that mean God wants my 10% tithe? No. The tithe was basically meant for the Old Testament. God had spelt out in the Old Testament the percentages of what people were to bring. And by the way, it didn't add up to 10% if you're a tithe sticker. It added up to 30%. So how much have you been giving then if you're a tithe person? Lord says, the tithe is in the Old Testament. The New Testament, you see, has revved up what we're supposed to do. He's made, there's a greater principle here for us. What is the greater principle in the New Testament? This is what it is. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. Each man and woman should give what he has decided in his heart to give. God can see the thought bubble. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's the principle for us in the New Testament. Give back to God as you've decided in your heart in proportion to what God has given you and give not reluctantly or under compulsion 
for God loves a cheerful giver. Give back to God in proportion to what He's given you. Give back to God in grateful praise is what He says. There's a second question we could look at. So, are you then saying that I must give all my money to the church? No. No, I'm not. God doesn't say you must do that either. Prosperity Gospel will teach you that though. You switch on your TV. They will say, bring all your money to the church, give it all to the church, and then somehow God will bless you through that and He will make sure that all your bills get paid. He will do it. What does the Bible teach us? Different to prosperity gospel. If you're taking notes, these are really important. It will help you in your giving. And if you are giving and you're not taking notes, then I hope you've got a good memory. Because this really helps us to put perspective around the way we give to the Lord. We don't just dig in now and think, what am I going to give to the Lord? Oh yeah, okay, I've got $2.50. I'll get the better. How do we give to the Lord? There are principles in Scripture for us. Here they are. We are to give willingly. First Chronicles 29.9 says this, People were collecting for the temple. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. So I'm going to repeat a few key words there. Rejoiced. Willingly. Whole heart. Freely. Give willingly to the Lord. How much has He blessed you? Second point. Give proportionately to the Lord. Deuteronomy 16. We've already said this. Every man shall give as he is able, but according to the blessing of the Lord your God that He has given you. You see, sometimes in life, I don't know about you, but with me, good stuff happens too. My cattle come in, they get a really good price. And so suddenly I've got a little bit more that God has given me, right? But it's so hard to give of that to the Lord. Because it's mine. The Lord says, when I bless you, give to me. That's all I'm going to say as a pastor. Wherever you use that money for the Lord's sake, give to the Lord. I'm not saying it must come here. But give to the Lord. Proportionately. As He blesses you. Thirdly, Give to the Lord regularly. This principle we find in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 4. You see the same thing in, in the New Testament church all over. We're collecting for the work in Jerusalem because the work in Jerusalem, people were really suffering. There was hunger there. And so they were making this collection. And so Paul puts this, these principles down for those saints. And he says to them, on the first day of the week, Put aside a certain proportion as every man is able and then we will collect this later and we will take it to them. And from that, they will be grateful for what you've done and that gratefulness will spread to the nations around. God will be glorified. And there's the principle for us. Put aside regularly to the work of the Lord. Not just every now and then when you remember. Fourthly, put aside trustingly for the Lord. Matthew 6.33 We've read this. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You don't need to worry about everything else. Give to the Lord. Trust Him. He will look after you. He said He will. Fifthly, give to the Lord generously. Jesus is speaking to His twelve disciples who didn't have much because they'd left everything to follow Jesus, right? And this is what He says to them. Heal the sick, raise the dead, 
cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Why? Here's the reason. You received without paying. Give without pay. Be generous. God has been generous to you. Give back to people. Give back to the Lord. Sixthly, give worshipfully to the Lord. I think there's a word like that, worshipfully. Yeah, there is now. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 and 10. This is what it says. Honour the Lord with your wealth. Just that first phrase already. Honour the Lord with your wealth. And with, now listen for it, with the first fruits of all your produce. You see, when people gave of their first fruits, they didn't know lightning and hail was going to hit the next day. But they gave their first fruits to the Lord because they trusted Him. And then God blessed them. It was a trusting thing to do. They worshipped the Lord with the first of what He was doing for them. And then He promises, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. God has either said this or He hasn't. Do we believe Him? And then, seventhly, perfect seven, anonymously. Give to the Lord anonymously. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. And the first four verses, this is what the Lord says. We can take note of this, and that's why we have the specific system in our church here, where you can give and you get a number, so that the donation that you give is not known to anyone. And the accountants kind of, I don't know how they work, it stays anonymous, but it's done. This is what it says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have already received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees the thought bubble above your head in secret, will reward you. See, people don't need to know what you give to any of the Lord's work that you might support. Do it before the Lord. Third question I'd like to ask you. Are you as careful about your standard of giving as your standard of living? I know myself. Us as human beings, we get born, and as soon as we get born, our little arms start doing this. What are we doing? We're starting to gather things all around us. Watch little babies playing. Okay? They want, it's my toys. And when we get a bit older, we get money so we can buy toys. And what do we do? It's my toys. And we start getting things together. We are so good. And then when you travel around the world and you come to places where people have got hardly anything, you realize how much you've gathered. And the other time you realize how much you've gathered is when you have to move. It's been on my mind because my house is on the market. How many trucks am I going to need? You see, we are so quick to feather our own nest. And we are so quick at not holding back on our own comforts. But when I look again, my resources have been dribbled away. Giving to God? Well, I can give Him some of what's to spare now. 
Jesus does not count the coins. He weighs the hearts. He calls the widow's gift the greatest gift of all those that his disciples had been observing. And I need to ask myself this morning, is my giving to the Lord a priority or is he receiving my leftovers? I leave that with you. I leave that question with me. And then lastly, how can I be a more cheerful giver? We can learn to be more cheerful givers by studying the greatest giver this world has ever known. Who is that? Jesus Christ. What did he do for us? What did he give us? Well, he left behind the riches and the glory of his heavenly kingdom. He came to this earth. He willingly gave his life for you and I so that we could keep our lives. He gave us new life. And there can be no better way to copy Jesus Christ than by giving selflessly the way he did. Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive, doesn't he? And our greatest motivation for cheerful and for generous giving should be that it pleases the Lord and it reflects his gift of salvation to me. And so therefore I cheerfully give. Not just my, my gifts, I give my way of life for him. Because I understand what grace is towards me. Does your giving, does your generosity, does it reflect the grace that God has shown you? You see, it's not just our treasure that he asks us for, but we are to cheerfully give back all to God. David said this in 1 Chronicles 29. He says, everything is from God. It includes my time. It includes my talents. My very days are numbered by God. If He numbers my days, who do the days belong to? The Lord. I should give back my days to Him. My time to Him. My gifts to Him. First Peter 4 verse 10 says this, Each one should use whatever gift he has received. For what? To serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Did you hear that? When we help each other by giving our time and service to each other, we are administering God's grace to others. We are tithing to the Lord in the good sense of the word. We are giving back our energies, our time to God. We are glorifying Him. It is heart worship. That's what he's speaking about here with this widow. You see, with the Lord, it's all or nothing. That little song we sing, all to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. That's what it's speaking about here. It's giving Him the the totality of my life in measure of the blessing that He pours out on me. The rich had nothing to give here to the Lord, even though they are plenty, because their hearts were wrong before Him. The widow had everything to give to the Lord, even though she gave nothing, because her heart was right with the Lord. It was heart worship she was bringing to the Lord. The last passage I want us to turn to is the Second Corinthians 9. And I promise we'll finish here. But what a promise. Look at these words in God's word. Second Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 10. Paul summarizes. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. 
And that's in your service and your gifts to God, right? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And, look at this promise, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. That is such an important verse. Look at it again. He who supplies the seed for the sower, who's that? God. He who supplies bread for food, who's that? God. Will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of what? Of your righteousness. And then the verse carries on. And when the world sees this, they will give glory to God. It's all about His glory. I want to ask you this morning, do you believe the promises to you in God's Word? Do you heart believe the principles God has given you about giving to Him? Then it needs to be seen in the way we act out. It needs to be seen in the way we give to the Lord. It needs to be seen in the way our hearts come up before the Lord in those thought bubbles. He needs to see Hearts that are grateful to Him. Hearts that are willing to give back to Him freely, gratefully, out of joy because of what God has done for us. Hearts that are rich towards God. He will take care of His own. He's promised Him. I'm going to leave a video with you this morning. I just found it so striking. Now, We're all in various financial positions, right? But, the same principle applies throughout. The couple that you're going to see here are well off in worldly terms. But look at what they do with their money. Find the principle there and then ask the Lord, how can I apply this principle in my life towards those people who are around me? Let's just watch this and then I'll close with prayer. My wife and I met in college, and she's an actuary, um, so she sets the rates that agents charge for insurance. I'm a CPA by trade. I started in public accounting and now have been at Sears uh, Holdings Corporation for 13 years. So we both have been blessed to be in careers where we're able to make a good living, and we've been able to take some really amazing steps in our journey as a result. Our pastor talked about an individual who had a gift for uh, generating a lot of income and he had capped himself at a certain point and as additional funds came in, he just gave them away. When he gave to the church, he gave so generously that a lot of his friends and family told him that he was crazy. And so he asked Bill to just remind him every now and then that he wasn't crazy for giving to the level that he gives. That was something that my wife and I really resonated with. So we just began our journey of 
really looking at our resources as something that truly wasn't ours and, and how could we manage them well and be able to give more of them. We're trying to figure things out, what, what it was going to look like for us. So we decided that we wanted to live simply to cap what we were spending each month and to be able to give freely beyond that whenever a need arose. So we uh, have managed our finances in a way that we could pay off our house, we can pay off our cars. We cut cable, we cut our home phone line, we just simplified things. A lot of people ask us, why don't you get your new car, why don't you get a bigger house? And, and it's created some great conversations that we can say, you know, we, we don't need bigger, we don't need newer, we can uh, live simply off of what we have and that gives us the ability to give and more freely and to things that God's put on our heart. So every time another dollar comes in beyond what we were already living off of, we have the freedom to use it to help other people. So when someone needs help, we want people to know that they can come to us and we have the ability to help them. And instances have arisen where where friends have, or family have needed help with medical bills and we've been able to help them. Yeah, obviously in this culture, it, the, our kids are bombarded with all kinds of messages of they need this, they need that. And it's hard because we don't really want to feed into that. We want them to see that they can live differently. One thing that we decided to do this year was to give them $100 to give away. We wanted to see where their heart was, where their passion lied. When we've been out at restaurants, the kids have picked families in the restaurant where we would pick up the tab for their lunch. And they used their $100 that we gave them to be able to give away. We want our kids to see the difference that they can make with their little lives. Definitely by setting a cap and having these resources that we can give, not only does it free us up to listen to God's whisper and to be able to respond more easily, but um, there's been so many uh, amazing instances that had we not made the decision to become debt-free and, and give freely, we would have missed out on I guess we all dream of being debt-free, but um, isn't that a radical rethink? It's loosening myself from these things. It's being able to cap my own spending and just freely give away. And it opens our eyes to the needs of others around us. And then just to quietly, without anyone knowing, just helping people. What a blessing that will be. I leave these words with you, this message with you this morning, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would use it as He will in your hearts and in your lives. Let's glorify God through the way that we are obedient to Him in this very practical aspect of Christian living. Let's pray. Lord our God, You have called us to live lives that are different to the world. And yet, Lord, we find ourselves so quickly settling into this world. We've forgotten that this world is just one that we're passing through. And that we are to be settling with you one day in eternity. Lord, you've given us these blessings. And Lord, we know that every good gift comes from you. And so we give you praise for that, Lord. But Lord, help us to see how we can use these gifts that you give us. 
Not just to help our families, but to help those around us. Give us eyes that see the hurt around us. And then, Lord, give us a willingness to part with some of what you've given us. And it may be sacrificial, so that others can be blessed. Lord, do a great work in us, because when the world sees us living in this way, they will want to know why we are so different. And we can point to you and give you the praise. And the message about Jesus Christ and the change he can make will spread around us in our families and in our communities. We praise you, Lord. I pray that you would work through your spirit in us. Free us from the God of money, I pray. And let us turn to the God who is the only one, the true God. May we worship you with our hearts and with obedient lives.